the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Quite honestly, the pastoral ministry is really a thankless job. Oh, we get the occasional every October Pastor Appreciation Month gift, but the rest of the year, not so much. Let's explore that next. Paul, I think, said it best when he said, I fill up in my flesh what remains of the sufferings of Christ. And then he qualifies that for the sake of the church. And that is the call of a pastor, a minister of the gospel. So what is at the heart of all of this? Well, that is exactly what we're exploring here in Romans chapter 1. Welcome to Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, who takes us back to chapter 1 of Romans, looking at verses 1 through 15. It's a look at the heart of the gospel minister. What makes him tick? Stick around and find out. Here's Pastor Gary with today's program. Our focus today will be on verse 16. But Paul has just said in verses 14 and 15 that I am a debtor. Christ has called me. I feel his mercy in my own life. And I am ready to come and preach the gospel to you that are at Rome. So don't think it is an embarrassment that is keeping me from visiting you. It is God's providence that has kept me from coming up to this point. But I hope very soon to be able to visit you. Now, we might say to ourselves when we hear Paul make such a declaration as in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Well, Paul was a preacher. He was an apostle, of course. He couldn't be ashamed. It wouldn't be right for him to be ashamed of the gospel in which God had called him to. What is he supposed to do? Abandon his duty? But you know, we need to ask ourselves, how does this apply to us? How does this declaration of boldness apply to us? And I would say first, that the very spirit of Christian discipleship is not of fear, but of courage and power and of a sound mind. Remember that even though we are not all called to be preachers, Every single one of us confesses to know and to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that puts us upon us a certain bond that we have with him. Do you remember what he told the man out of whom he cast many, many demons? Remember that man wanted to follow him. But Jesus says, no, you go home And tell your friends and family what great things God has done for you. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15, and he didn't write this chapter just to preachers alone. 
He said, each one of you be ready always to give an answer for the hope that is in you with reference and God with reverence and godly fear. So this is the spirit of boldness, unashamed of what God has done for us in Christ. That is to characterize all of us to some measure, to one degree or another, based upon our callings and where God has placed us. We must proclaim his gospel. Our Lord Jesus Christ has purchased this courage for us. This isn't just for supernatural Christians. Christ has purchased this for all of us. How did he do this? Well, remember, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. All kinds of things were screaming at him. Satan, the demons, the world, don't do it. Give in. Choose an easier path. But he humbled himself. And he became obedient unto death. He faced Satan's worst attacks. And yet he steadfastly determined in his heart to obey God. And he ever lives to make intercession now for us. So in every way we are to consider his work of obedience on earth. His death on the cross. His resistance to the devil. His intercession as our priest king at the right hand of the father and this is one of the notable graces that he has purchased for his people and that is it is courage to speak his truth and boldness to speak his gospel now admittedly not many in fact very few are going to walk on the high mountains with elijah But if you have any part of Christ, you are at least going to be of the 7,000 in the valley who had not bowed the knee to Baal. So this isn't just limited to the apostles or to the missionaries or to the preacher. This is for each one of us, beloved. And we need to be reminded of this because we need to understand something about the gospel that we actually already know, but we forget It is foolishness in the eyes of the world, utter, sheer foolishness to speak of a Savior and a King who was crucified and became alive. How many of the rich, the propertied, the powerful believe this gospel? Most of its adherents are poor and weak in the eyes of the world. How could this gospel not be hated by the world for it humbles pride and it tells us that our only hope before God is his mercy and his grace and his work for us through our Lord Jesus Christ and this repudiates all of men's efforts to have salvation to have peace to have prosperity to have justice without submission to him and to his Christ This gospel, Jesus said, is better than you can imagine. John 5, John 7, John 15, the world hates me, he says, mainly because I expose its delusion and I burst its bubble. Because ever since the Garden of Eden, Eden, man has believed we can have some blessing apart from God. 
Nations have believed we can have some prosperity without God. Jesus came and he said, you can't have anything unless you come to me. And that is true of us as men, true as nations, true as fathers, true as families, true as businesses. You can't have anything good or lasting unless you come to me, he says, because of all the graces, all of the promises, all the blessings that God gives to men are found through me alone. I am the depository of life. I have come that they might have life and that they may have it abundantly. The world hates that because it wants salvation on its own terms. It wants to go back to the tree on its own terms. And that's why the church is so foolish when it thinks, well, let us find a way to make the world like the gospel a little better. Let's find a way to put the sword back in the sheath, to dull a little bit the claims of Christ, to make him a friendlier God. And yet all we are doing is weakening the message, dishonoring God, and opening up the half, halfway truce and a false gospel. But secondly, there's another reason why we are often ashamed of the gospel, and it is pride. To really share the gospel with someone, do you know what you need to do? You don't need to have all the answers. You don't have to ever have to read every apologetic manual. You have to want to tell people, I am a sinner in the eyes of God. And I have done much more than I'll ever know to displease and offend him. And were he to judge me at this very moment as my sin deserves and not looking at me in his son, I would justly spend eternity in hell And I would have no reason to complain. That is hard for a lot of people. That is hard for a lot of people who profess to believe these things, to be willing to testify before men, because sharing the gospel with people in a personal, meaningful way, you've got to come back to that starting point and beat your breast and say, listen, let me tell you something, co-worker. Let me tell you something, family member who doesn't know the Lord. I'm not telling you this because I have a new program for you. I'm not telling you this because I want to sell you something. I'm telling you this because I was a drowning man myself. And God had mercy upon me and saved me. And that is the only gospel that can save you as it did me. You know, we like to talk about things that we like, that are important to us, such things as our sports teams and various other sundry things. And we like to talk about our problems. In fact, if you want to be a good conversationalist, just get people talking about their problems and the things they struggle with. But you know, when it comes to the gospel, we're often embarrassed. In our pride, we are kind of awkward. Pride is a crippling sin. 
and we are awkward in our pride, and we just don't know what to say. Do you know what that is proof of? It is proof we should probably have an apologetics class. And it is proof we have grown unfamiliar with Christ. And in our pride, we are embarrassed with our unfamiliarity. The preacher may batter our ears every Sunday with the gospel, but we have lost our familiarity with Christ. We have lost familiarity with ourselves and with our own needs, which should lead us, of course, to Christ and to the gospel and to cling to him. You know, when the gospel becomes strange to the church, what else can we expect from the world but increasing depravity and blindness and mad attempts to dethrone God? There is a world of people perishing out there, and certainly you're not responsible for every single one of them, but you rub shoulders with a few of them, And I'm sure you want to please God. And he has made promises to his son to bring the nations into the church so that they will come and accept his law and his teaching from Mount Sinai. You see, we've got to get over our awkwardness, don't we? We must not just here, but in the whole church. We have got to get over our embarrassment and be able to say, A little bit. Now, admittedly, we're not apostles, and very few of us are called to be preachers. I understand this. But this is a disciple's privilege. Do you understand that? This is a disciple's badge of honor. This is the disciple's boast. God forgive Forbid that I should boast save in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. So how do we get over our embarrassment? Let me just mention one thing to you today. It is a sense of having received mercy. You know, as long as we think of our sins as just little bumps in our life, mercy is not going to move us very much. As long as we think, yeah, I've messed up a little bit, but it's not very much. I mean, I'm so much better than most of those other people. You young people, especially those of you who have grown up in the church, you need to hear this because this is where Satan can get a foothold in your thinking and where your own flesh is going to look to escape from the gospel. Oh, I'm so much better than others of my age group out there in the world. So I can certainly live on the margins. But the moment you think of your sins as a mountain that you couldn't get over and you couldn't get around, and not only is that mountain there, but that mountain is on your back and it is crushing you and it is holding you down and you just can't get out from underneath it. And that mountain would have crushed you in hell forever had not God come in his mercy and said, Listen, I'm the mountain mover. I am the sin destroyer for I'm the guilt receiver in my son because of what happened at the cross. 
the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God incarnate, took that whole mountain of our sin, of our guilt and of our judgment. And he took all of the wrath and the curse of God and became the propitiation for our sins. No wonder, even looking to the event in Gethsemane, his skin was thinned out and his blood was mingled with water. And angels had to come down from heaven to support him as he looked at that cup. And then to take it on the cross. To take the sword of divine justice in his own holy soul. If you begin to think of your sins and of your Savior like that, guess what happens? Love for Christ just starts loosening your tongues. And it starts to tear down the embarrassment. Because, beloved, there is no embarrassment here. This is the air we should breathe. This should be our life. Christ should be the very heartbeat of our souls. Without him, beloved, we have nothing. And it is not just some wishful romanticism. No, it is, the, is a core sense in the true disciple of Jesus Christ that I owe everything to this gospel and to this God who came down to me in his son and he provided atonement and covering for my sins. So it is a sense of mercy, of wonderment. Do you wonder at the gospel? I preached it to you a number of times. Other preachers, I'm sure, have preached it to you. Oh, you say, but what about politics? Well, beloved, you know politics from a biblical perspective is very important to me. But I am not in the least bit of wonderment about it as I am about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I feel it is important to take a strong biblical stand on biblical issues, as you know, especially when it comes down to a criticism of the city of man for not submitting to Christ. But let me tell you, though, what does bring great wonderment to my soul? Christ and him crucified. Christ and him resurrected. Christ and him glorified and seated at the right hand of God. Christ proclaimed as the power of God to save us here this day, if we look to him in faith. This, my friends, is a victorious Christ. So do you want to overcome the shame and embarrassment and awkwardness? Well, what do you need to do? You need to grow in your understanding of, I have received mercy, which is really nothing more than to grow in your love for Christ. Hugh Martin, the great Scotsman, who wrote about 150 years ago, said, The secret of Christian influence is to be much in the society of the master. Meaning the more you walk with Jesus, the more you reflect on what he has done for you, the glory of his person as God's eternal son and of his sacrifice on the cross for our sins, the more you 
think about these things, the more you give yourself to them, the more you realize every morning when I ask God to hear my prayers, it is only because the Son of God was crucified for my sins and He is now my high priest. The more you grow in love with Christ, the more natural it will be for you to speak of him to others. How can we not speak of the things that we have seen and heard? The greatest miracle that God has done in the world and is doing still today in the world is raising dead men to life and moving that mountain of sin by laying it upon his son Paul was not embarrassed, not because he was an apostle. Remember, Peter, Paul carried the stigma of Christ with him, bruises and scars for the gospel. Paul had a lot, humanly speaking, to be embarrassed about. Tradition says he was a diminutive in stature. Perhaps he was farsighted and he squinted or he had some type of eye disease. We don't really know. But Paul was bold because he had tasted the Lord's graciousness. Do you? Do you taste the Lord's graciousness? Now, such a thing as this doesn't mean you have to quit your job. This doesn't require you, well, I've got to spend every moment of every day thinking on these things. But the moment we even phrase it like, okay, I've got to. You've just lost it. It may be evidence that you don't know these great things in your own soul. The moment you say, when you hear the gospel, okay, that means I've got to go out and teach others. And think on all these things. Well, the gospel says, actually, beloved, you can't. The gospel doesn't say you can. The gospel doesn't say, well, okay, I've heard some stuff. I feel a little guilty. I had better go spread the gospel. No, you see, the gospel says, look to the Lamb of God. Come to Him. Cling to Him. Because all we are are a bunch of Lazaruses. And we have to hear the voice of the Son of God bringing us out of our tombs, not once, but every day. Every day he has to call our names. He has to gather his sheep. He has to feed us with his word. He has to convince our hearts that it's okay to bleat after him like sheep for the shepherd and to call upon his name in prayer. Do you want to grow, disciple, in your courage, within your sphere, in your workplace, even daddies in your home, there's one place you can get it, and that is to come humbly before the Son of God to reflect upon His mercy to you often and to even do it often throughout the day and ask Him to keep on saving you and in saving you to save those around you. It is disciples who are aware of God's abundant mercy that then makes others disciples. No one else. Formalism doesn't make disciples. Church programs do not make disciples. 
What makes disciples of Christ is when those who profess to know the Lord are deeply humbled and joyful and thankful and overcome with amazement of, by God's mercy and grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they walk with Jesus and they abide in Jesus' word and they love him deeply. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408-866. 866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.